salmon is different than maybe almost any other fish, that there are those people who say that you could use salmon uh, because uh, salmon is a unique color, the red color. And although there is such a thing as beta carotene, which they take in the and some uh, in, in some fish they give it to them as part of their feed, and it does affect the color of the flesh. It makes it a red reddish color. But to make a real red that goes through and through and through, it's not it's not going to happen with this uh, food when the, there's coloring in the food. It's going to only happen when it's a natural thing, and the only fish that we know that has that color supposedly is a salmon. Well, you know, there's a lot of parts to this thing. I don't know who the person is. They don't divulge too much information. I think he gave the name, but I don't know the name. So I can't tell who's uh, asking the question. And uh, I'm not interested. So I, I wrote back that we, 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 rec- we want to know a number of things. Number one, how we, what's the packaging here? Um, is it, for example, coming in a, you know, if, if it was produced by a company and the company produces this in the thousands of pounds, and they uh, so the only thing they're handling is the uh, this fish. And even if they were other handling other fish with the same knife, whatever it is, the volume alone would would mitigate against anything getting mixed in. So I said, is this something that's coming to you from uh, from a national, you know, from a a major commercial company that's producing this mass? Or is it something you're buying at a local store? I mentioned Costco, and they answered me, no, it wasn't a Costco, it was another store, but also a supermarket chain. I wanted to know what kind of packaging it is, and of course, if it came in the official packaging, you know, when, you, when, you, uh, when you're producing something commercially, a certain type of packaging. Here, it's not going to come that way. It's going to be done in the store, uh, even if it's uh, not in one store, it's for a bunch of stores, but it's done in um, smaller quantities, could even be on the store level, could be in this, the, the regular fish man cuts it up and puts it in and they pack it there. So I don't know what it is. It was, it's an Aldi, ALDI store. But when I'm, I have no idea the size, the volume, how it is. So it's coming in some kind of packaging. Now, the fact that he saw this, these, the uh, scales, that's very important. So I asked him if, that's, if he sees it on all of the fish, pieces of fish, or you just see some scales on some fish. So uh, that's number one. Another thing also I wanted to know um, if this is, uh, uh, if, this is uh, if, if he's concerned about worms, because salmon can have worms. If it's wild salmon, wild caught salmon, you could have anisakis, very, very high number of anisakis. So he answered me that the, 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 the worms was not a problem, so I know that maybe he means that his rabbi said it's okay. Or maybe he said he knows it's uh, farm-raised. I don't know what he uh, meant by that. So we gave him a general guidelines and told him that, a, if you see this, if you see the, uh, you know, if you see the scales, then you know it's a kosher fish because that's the rule. The Torah said in last week's parsha, it says that uh, fins and scales, and it, and every fish that has scales has fins. So all you do have to do is see a couple of scales on a fish, and then you know it's kosher fish. As far as the problem of cleaning it, they may have cleaned it together with non-kosher fish. They may have, it may have sat in seawater or any water, 
uh, anything moist, I mean really wet, for 24 hours, which we call kavush, or seawater might be maybe even as long as, as, as short as like 18 minutes, or even seven minutes, maybe. It, it depends, uh, the, the different shittas. So maybe a very short amount of time sitting in the water together with a non-kosher fish could be create a problem. So I said that there are different rabbanim who say differently about how to handle, even if it's a kosher fish, how to handle this, whether you have to take a, a sharp knife and rub it against the fish's uh, flesh, and that would remove maybe the little surface in the end, um, or maybe you have to just wash it, maybe you have to rub it. There's a whole different opinions on how you handle a piece of fish, even if it's a kosher fish, if it was handled in a non-kosher environment. And you have to remember that if there's no, if there's no skin, it's very supple fish, and it's, it's, it's called, the Gemara calls it rafu kamayu, it's soft, supple, and therefore it could easily absorb into the flesh of the fish, or something could stay on there. So if you, it is a concern if you had a small volume, uh, like, when, like in the non-kosher fish stores. And that's why the old-style Jew used to go to a, a non-kosher store with a knife and maybe some kind of uh, paper, whatever it was, for them to cut the fish on and handle it separate from the other fish that they had in the store. That's how people used to go in the old days. And even till today, I know some people who do this, although I don't see the need for it anymore. It's so much easier to get fish in a way that you don't have any shallows on it. But okay, this is what they do, and maybe they get a better quality, maybe they get a better price, I don't know. But definitely uh, the halacha has dealt with it. And I told him that he, the final decision about how he has to handle it once he gets it home, the, as far as washing it off or, or just using a knife or a sharp blade very, very fast to go run down the, the, the flesh, or if he has to uh, rub it, or so whatever it is to remove any possible um, actual physical juices from another fish, what he has to do, he'll leave it to his rub. I tell him I can't decide for you. There's so many different opinions. So that was how we handled one situation. And again, if he would be in a place where that's all he can get, so of course he has to work with that situation. If not, I would advise everybody. So I said personally, I wouldn't... Uh, I wouldn't eat that. I'd go ahead and buy something with a hashkocha. Since I have uh, everybody listening, I just must tell you that I met somebody in the fish business, and I was very impressed. Um, he's uh, been doing, he says, for 30 years, he's been handling fish and always checks the fish. Cost him a lot of money, but he has from his father and training and this and that that he always checks the fish. And uh, cost them, you know, they said cost extra money. Maybe you're paying that extra money, but uh, it's, a, it's a well-known fish company. And uh, yeah, Baruch Hashem, they they take it very, very seriously. Um, and he told me the problems he has now in the fish business because of Corona is uh, phenomenal. Because you can't easily get people, mashgichim, to go to these plants in these way away places, you know, with the flying and with this, and we're going to live, we're going to eat, and the amount of time, and, and, the, the, and working with the Goyim, and the, the, the masks, and who knows what. It's very hard to get people today to go into these places. And he told me what he does 
very interesting. He said, I bring the fish to the rabbis. He brings the fish to the mashkichim, wherever they're working, I don't know, but they work in some place, and he brings the fish from this huge amount of fish. He schleps it for these people to work on it and check the cut it up, whatever they do exactly, to make it um, kosher without any insect issues. So I thought that was very interesting. I just happened to meet him at davening. Anyway, on to some other things here. So here's a um, an interesting question that came up. This is a rabbi that I don't think exists. Now, may he, may he may actually exist, but I don't believe he exists. Let me tell you what happened. A young fellow contacted me, and uh, he wants to know about this particular place, which is run by Russians. And uh, it's in, in, in the New York area. It's in New York. Okay, it's in Brooklyn, let's say. Let's, let's be more specific. I'm not giving away the details. But it's in Brooklyn. It's a catering facility run by Russians. I don't know if they're supposedly religious or not. That I don't know. And uh, he want and, and he wanted to know about this hashkacha. So, of course, I went right away to check it out. I know the young man, and uh, he he gave me the contact information on the on the website of this caterer. I go there. Beautiful designed logo. Interesting little short letter. No address. No telephone number. No what? No email address. Nothing. A name of a rabbi. Doesn't say what city state he lives in. Looked him up in Brooklyn. I tried to contact. It doesn't seem to be that that's the rabbi. In any event, I can't locate him. Um, I'm still still working on it. It's not finished yet. But what's interesting is. I looked up the name of the Hashkacha, and they did register with the government the name, and uh, they paid a fee for it, whatever that is. And I see that the address that is given for this Hashkacha is the same address as the caterers. In other words, who knows if the rabbi exists, or he certainly doesn't seem to be an independent rabbi. And this is a catering in Brooklyn. I would go further, but I don't want to give away more details. But I could say that anybody living in Flatbush and Borough Park is a few inches away from this place in Brooklyn. The rabbi may not even exist. Somebody called up. The caterer. I have not tried to contact the caterer personally. I sort of felt a little bit nervous about it. I, uh, I did give it over to the New York State Kosher Law Enforcement Bureau and asked him to check it out. The, the caterer answers, the rabbi is very hard to reach. Uh, it doesn't have a, doesn't this or that. Can't get a number out of that person. In Brooklyn, smack in the middle. Okay? You understand? This is reality. We go on to another one. 
This one is nothing maybe to you with you or me, because maybe we're too smart. Maybe. I hope so. I hope it's not smart enough. Here's a hashkafa uh, in a um, different state, New Jersey, where I am. Not far from me. Not in Lakewood, but not far. This rabbi that did the certifications is conservative. But listen to what hashkachas he has. He has a Dunkin' Donuts in West Orange, which is a pretty from area. And um, he has two Dunkin' Donuts in West Orange. And he has a bagel store in South Orange. And he has a, a bread company, a bakery called Liv, L-I-V, Breads. That's in Milburn, New Jersey. And he has a pita uh, flatbread uh, company that's in Center Street, uh, in Orange. Orange. This is the area where he lives. And these are, these are the hushkoks that he has. The reason I mention it is because people living in these neighborhoods or people visiting these neighborhoods would see a kosher sign and may very easily be misled. The rabbi is 100% conservative. He's ordained by the conservative movement. No, no semblance of orthodoxy. And listen to what he writes um, on his kosher supervision. On the Dunkin' Donuts stores, he says, only the baked goods, the coffees, and drinks are under kosher supervision. None of the point-of-service items should be considered kosher, and non-kosher products are served there. This is the kosher Dunkin' Donuts with the non-kosher being served there. That's what this uh, conservative rabbi has. So somebody who's using a Dunkin' Donuts in another place that's under kosher certification in the New York, New York area, there are a number of them that are under kosher certification, and uh, everything in there is kosher. I'm not going to guarantee that they never have cheated or confused, but basically they're coming from a kosher environment. It's coming from a kosher um, from a, from a kosher uh, the commissary, and and the rabbis control the commissary, and they control the Dunkin' Donuts store. That's how you get a kosher Dunkin' Donuts. And you have some that are doing it with what we call a very, very admirable job. Some major hashkochas are giving hashkochas to Dunkin' Donuts under the, the control factors that they have. Now, some people send somebody in on the Shabbos if they can possibly get in there. I mean, they know if it's walking distance. And some won't send anybody in Shabbos Yomtev, and the stores know it. Nobody comes in here Shabbos Yomtev. That creates an issue. It's not a full mirsis, not a full awareness and a concern that the rabbi might show up. But this is our system, and some people are able to do stronger. Some people not able to do so strong. Some people are satisfied with it, and some are not satisfied with that. In today's world, I don't think a lot of you know that it's very hard to get the mashkich. Like I mentioned before about the fish business, but it's very hard to get mashkichim into places today. A lot of uh, hashkachas have told me that they're having tremendous problems with it. Um, 
The OU, for example, just started a wonderful program. I mentioned it here. Started today. Goes this week. And ask OU from 10:30 to 12:30 every morning for the next few days until Thursday. And uh, the, uh, the the program, uh, you know, was supposed to be live in person. Every year it's been in person, and this year they didn't want to do it in person. I suggested that they do it around this time, but in, but in person. But they didn't want to do it in person. They decided to do it over the Internet, like people are Zooming today. That's how things are being done. So they decided to do the program that way. But the reason he told me he wanted to do it on the Internet is simply because you couldn't get in. You know, our people, he says, cannot even get into the, the, the establishments. To we, to, for us to give hashkacha, we can't. You know, we can't take them away from what they're doing. We're having such difficulty to maintain the kashmas. This is from the OU. So I'm, I'm going to assure you that every kashmas organization today has challenges because of COVID. And 19, and hopefully the standards did not go down that much across the world. Ah, something must have happened, but let's hope and pray that our people are still protected. So this is this conservative rabbi, and he has his kosher Dunkin' Donuts, which he gives two of them, are not only for the baked goods and the coffees and drinks, and nothing else, everything there is traced. What does he do about the utensils? What does he do about the uh, whatever? I mean, that's uh, that's interesting. And where where are the baked goods coming from? That they're so good. But again, I don't know what his controls are. Now, he has a bagel store, and this is what he writes about the bagel store. All bagels, spreads, coffee, and smoked fish are kosher and under my rabbinic supervision, which is of course conservative. Packaged snacks and drinks that are produced elsewhere may not be kosher. So in this store, there are things that are sold that are not kosher. And you're supposed to be able to figure out which are and which aren't. He says he has a sign up there, to dot kashrut, that tells you what's, what's kosher in the store. Then he has a, these breads called L-I-V, live breads, um, I don't think I gave out the other name of there. Sonny's Bagels. Okay. So Sonny's Bagels in South Orange is one of his. Live Reds uh, in Milburn is another one of them. And this is what it says there. This dairy and vegetarian bakery, cafe, and coffee bar offers bread, baked goods, cakes, pastries, salads, and sandwiches, or ingredients used have a hechsher. Now, by the way, a person like this is not mocked on Pas Yisrael and Bish Yisrael, for sure. Or are foods that do not require a hechsher. So again, what the man is telling you is that I decide, this conservative rabbi is deciding for us which things do need hechsher and which things don't need hechsher. Okay. More, more to it than that. And then he has the uh, these artisanal breads. Okay. I just say that because I, if I would have seen this man, I saw the picture. I would have seen this man. I would have heard his name. I would have heard the name of the synagogue that he's in. I would have not known that he's conservative. So 
of this is where we have to be today. We have to use our heads. We don't want to use rabbis that don't exist, as that store, in, that caterer in Borough Park may be using a non-existent rabbi. We don't want to use conservative rabbis. We want real stuff. So brings me now to a Chabad story. And this Chabad story is not a big deal. I'm not going to go into the whole deal. But uh, people sent me its information. And what's interesting is that this is a Chabad Ashkocha, and it's not unique. Chabad Ashkocha on Cholestam, on Cholestam products. Now you have to understand, Chabad, by, by definition, a Chabad person is not allowed to eat Cholestam. You cannot claim to be Lubavitch, I mean a real Lubavitch, certainly a Shliach, and eat Cholestam. It's not possible. You have, you have certain rules built into, into the Lubavitch uh, practices, which should, which should not easily pushed aside. It, it, it's even in some ways more than by uh, Satmar. I don't put the two together, but okay, but why? Because by, by Chabad, they identify this way. That's part of their identification. We do Chol Yisrael, we do Pas Yisrael, we do, you know, we have certain criterion. We only use Shoha board, da-da-da. This is the way Chabad approaches kashras and our personal basis and i'm convinced that, that the rabbis that are certifying these products will not eat them and that is what people have to understand so the fact that the, the rabbi is putting out something oh it's dairy is it call of israel the assumption i always had was that anything that any rabbi who's chabad will touch is only going to be called israel even if the rest of the people in the town don't need it. If he's going to give hashkocha for a Shabbaton, for, a, for, a, for dinner, for this, it would be Chal Yisrael. That would be my assumption. And kosher, and it would be probably Shohabor, which is their hashkocha, and their, their meats and chickens that they use. And it would be, and, and I would assume that, you know, he would follow all of the rules of Chabad. That's what I would assume. And now I see that it's not necessarily so. So that's another thing, and another awareness that we all have to have. These are awarenesses. Now I come to something. This is as Hamish as you can get. I will not mention the name. I really will not, because I, I can't get my head into this. But I must tell you, because it was given to me by very authoritative people, and I saw the emails, and I know it happened. So here we have a product called somebody or others pizza bagels. That's it. It's pizza bagels. It's got uh, the, the regular, you know, the, it's these little little uh, pizza bagels that uh, this, uh, in, the small guys looks like, you know, like a bagel, and, the, and pizza sauce and, and some and cheese on it. And the question is the bracha. So this product has two hashkachas. A national hashkacha, Big one, the biggest, and it has a chasidah hashkacha, very well known chasidah hashkacha. And on the outside wrapper of each individual pizza bagel, it says Mizonos. Bake at 425 degrees Fahrenheit for 12 to 13 minutes. And it has the name of the chasidah hashkacha. So the question.
question we had, that's what people, you know, who I know sent to them, was did the Chassidish Shrocha really say it's Mizonos? Because there's some issue here. Because, uh, you know, the it's, it's made as a bagel. It's made as a piece of bread underneath it. You know, and this is an old, old question, whether these frozen pizza or pizza bagels, whether they're Mazonas or Hamotzi. So what we were able to find out is the following, that the Hashgacha, the Hasidish Hashgacha, does claim that it is Mazonos, and the national Hashgacha refuses to make a statement of what the bracha is. They say that they take no responsibility for the claim that it's Mazonos. Here we have an interesting phenomenon. When they're telling you the bracha is Mazonos, it's based upon their psukim, which do not necessarily agree with the uh, with, with what the accepted norm is in the non-Hasidic world. So that's a very, 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 very challenging thing for every single person. It's not enough to find the word mizonos or mozi or eitz or adama, or whatever the bracha is, shakal. It's not, shakal is yotze, but it's not enough to find the bracha written on the package. It's important to find out who is behind that bracha. And if you agree with those people, fine. But know first who it is. I mentioned, maybe on the air, I assume I mentioned on the air, it's a bunch of years ago already, maybe five, six years ago, I got a, 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 an orange juice from Devash, and the, the orange juice had on it five hashkochas. No, not exaggerating. I remember exactly who the hashkochas were. Five different hashkochas were on this one, um, it was uh, orange juice, I think. And it was the Pesach. It said it said Kashula Pesach. And the Kashula Pesach was not near any of the Hashkachas. So there are five Hashkachas now. I'm wondering who stands behind Kashula Pesach. There's a national Hashkacha. There are a couple of Hasidic Hashkachas. There's some local Hashkachas. It was it was five different Hashkachas. Obviously, it paid for them to pay off all these hashkachas and make sure that it was accepted all, everywhere they went. Bash is a big company, and they got to want to get around, and that's what they did. And yet I wanted to know who was the hashkacha that takes responsibility for the kosher Pesach aspect of it. So I started to investigate. This hashkacha said, really? You found kosher Pesach? Didn't know anything about it. This one didn't know anything about it. One of them said to me, we did it. And and another one said, we were we lied that the other guy did it. So in other words, one Hashkocha relied on one of them. One of them arranged it, which was true. It wasn't the company put it on. And, and it wasn't near anybody's name, but it was put on the top, on the top of the uh, of the beverage. And somewhere else on the paper, uh, exactly, but I don't remember, it was two places, I believe. In any event, yes, it was Koshal Pesach. 
It was ink jetted and also on the top. Yes, it was Koshal Pesach. There was a Koshal Pesach run. The national Hashkocha knew nothing about it. When I told them, they were shocked. They did so. We didn't do anything. Now, the answer to this is very, very simple. Somebody decided to make a Koshal Pesach because he wants to sell it, whether it was the company or the or these one of the Hashkochas. They wanted, somebody wanted this to be called Koshal Pesach. And whatever little chumras that they do to make sure there really is kosher pesos. Not too much of a deal because it wasn't too much, it's not a really processed product. But whatever preservations they have to guarantee that it's kosher pesos, they feel that they did. And we see that the other Ashkochas seem to fall in line, at least those that knew about it. And had the national Ashkochas known about this, there would have been extra charges, serious extra charges. Whether the company was ready to pay that money, I don't know. So it's interesting. It says it on the label, but who is behind what it says on the label? Same thing happens always with Yashin. You know that as well as I do. If you're Makhbet on Yashin, who took authority for the Yashin? Was it the Hashgacha? Was it the owner of the company? Very, very big issue. And uh, unfortunately, we all have to do our due diligence and our homework. So yes, that this thing, the pizza bagels with the words Mizonas on it, yes, there is a Hashkacha agency that takes responsibility for it. Do you agree with that? Does your rub agree with it? Did you look into it? Did you find out on what basis they say it? Remember, a bagel is usually going to make hamotzi in a bagel. So is it the, it's the same thing. So is it different because it has the sauce and the, uh, and the, and the, and the uh, cheese on it already? Um, it wasn't cooked yet. It, it, you were actually doing it yourself. So that's up to you. Uh, and you have to ask your uh, Rob, and that's as far as I can go on that one. I, I want to uh, share with you an interesting thing. If you have the time, if you want to get it, it's very, very helpful. Uh, only for good things, please. There, in Maimonides Hospital, they put out a booklet, which is basically just from Maimonides, but it's a phenomenal little booklet. It's probably done 20 years ago or something, so I, I can't promise you that uh, they didn't change it. I mean, somebody handed me an email, uh, an email it to me, so I really don't know if it's the same booklet they're using. You can always check it up. But I want to read to you a few things from that booklet. It's very helpful for Maimonides. And it gives you, and, and anybody who has to go to any other hospital, it has fantastic uh, discussions of halachas in there. Every single yomtiv you can imagine how it affects in the hospital. The Shabbos is the biggest issue, and, and of course, uh, uh, you know, sneers, riz, everything you can imagine. But what I found uh, exp- extremely important was this little paragraph over here. Um, it's, it's about Shabbos food service. And this is, by the way, it applies to any hospital. All Shabbos foods in the hospital are cooked on Friday and are warmed up, it's on Shabbos, they're warmed up by non-Jews. This is permitted by halacha for the needs of sick people. Therefore, there is no problem at all for the maternity patients to eat the rewarmed food on Shabbos. 
visitors, however, or husbands who are staying with their wives for Shabbos are not allowed to partake of the warm foods. Utensils that are distributed to maternity patients are sealed in plastic. It is permitted to tear open the plastic, but special care must be taken not to tear any letters that are printed on the package. But that's the important halacha, that the hot food, when they're preparing it for somebody who's in the hospital, the person in the hospital has a hat to, to eat it. A visitor is not allowed to eat it. Very important. I was in the hospital with, uh, in, in, with, with, with one of our children were born, and I remember, you know, there was uh, this exact problem came up. They wanted to give me food, but the, I didn't want to eat the food. Baruch Hashem, uh, I, was, I think I was invited to somebody's house. I don't know if I went in the end or I didn't go in the end, but there are people around my monitors who actually invite people in. I could be, I did. I don't remember anymore if I went with them or not. But there are people around my monitors who invite people in on Shabbos morning. They look in the room. They go, in, they go into the hospital to see who's sitting around there when they're having their suda. And then when they finish, they go in like once, or two, once or twice. Beautiful, beautiful. Me ka'amacho Yisrael. Then they discuss, of course, uh, what do you do with the, the Shabbos lights and all that. So it's a very, very nice little booklet if you can get a hold of it. It's not gigantic, and it's in Yiddish and in English. So you don't need the Yiddish book, but if you want to, you can probably get the, a copy of it uh, emailed to you. If you really need it and you want it, you can email me, kashas at aol.com. Believe another, I will email it to you. Uh, but very, very interesting, and I'll give you a hospital's number in case you want to reach it. And here's a way to get it. It's 718-283-8327. That's for the rabbi's office, 718-283-8327. Very interesting topics there. I don't want to go on to that uh, anymore today. Maybe sometime I'll bring up something else. Yeah, it was very interesting about what happens about Kiddush. He, he, went, he, he did a lot of work on this little booklet. He talks about Kiddush, let's say, what, and the, uh, what happened, and what about the, the, like the, 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 can, the candles Friday night for the woman, and if you, can't eat the, if you can't eat this, so what do you do to make Kiddush? Very, very interesting little topic over there. So that's a nice booklet from Maimonides. Now, this goes back four years, so please excuse me. Some people send me things four years late. This I got just now, and it was it's four years late. But it's very interesting, and uh, I don't know if you're following up, what's following what's going on in Eretz Israel. Uh, there's quite a bit goes on in Eretz Israel about the Rabbanut and the attempts of the different people in Israel to get rid of the Rabbanut, the, to push it to the side remove what they call the monopoly that these Haredim have in the, you know, too, too religious for the rest of the country. So they, they want the rabbinate to leave Kashras to other people. Because that will really create a nice flow of cash into people's pockets and uh, it will make it life a lot easier for all the stores and it will really soften things up tremendously, unfortunately. But that's the tremendous pressure right now to, uh, to take it away from the Rabbanut. So this booklet 
that I saw, I call it a booklet, they call it a, a, a position paper, and it, it's of course written in Hebrew, um, it's, it's like 40 pages or 30 some pages, whatever, it is. I forgot the exact number, gigantic, and it all, it talks about how the new system would be set up if we get rid of the Rabbanut, they sideline the Rabbanut, they'll allow the Rabbanut to have certain areas, they'll allow them to to uh, fire in Hashkachas, let them knock themselves out, uh, permitting uh, imports into the country. Let them uh, do some kind of overview about uh, the general guidelines of Kashras for this, the country. But let it all be private enterprise. Private enterprise. And we see, this is what we were discussing, this question about private enterprise, we discussed it a week ago or two ago when there's a question about some of the fights that goes on in neighborhoods where there they, should be one vad, there should be more than one nashkocha available, and you have the right, don't you have the right? In Israel, they're doing the same thing. They're having the fight about should it be only the rabbanot or should we get rid of the rabbanot, not just allow you to also work, but we'll get rid of the rabbanot, we'll sideline the rabbanot and give it over completely to private enterprise, which, of course, is going to send everything flying in the wrong direction. No question about that. Because we already saw that the hashkachas that are coming in, the badats of this and the badats of that, are worth nothing. Some badatsim are gewaltic, but many of them are total fakes, shams, one man calling himself a badats, um, and, 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 which is supposed to mean a based in at least three people, and it's supposed to be representing an organization, and it's his one private business, and he's, he knows the owner, and he comes by occasionally, and, and, and he relies on the fellow. No, no, this is not, uh, this is not even comparable in any way. But this is a, a booklet. I can't read the name of it because it's not uh, clear, but it says, but one of the names is this, Marach HaKashrus B'Yisrael, it's basically restructuring, changing the whole business. Dr. Aviad Bakshi and Nota Shapiro. These are the people that wrote it in 2016. Very well written, of course, but I disagree with them 180%. So anybody can look at it if they want to. Um, it's not worth Printing it out on paper, but if you want to, call a kavod. Let me uh, share with you a Devar Torah or two from this last week's Parsha. One, I don't know if you had the zechus to read Rabbi Miller's piece. It was it was extraordinary. Rabbi Miller, uh, you know, Ravigda Miller, they put together what they call Torahs of Vigdor, and they give you twenty or thirty pages a booklet every week. Many people get it printed out and they, and they get it in the mail or they get it in the shul at distribution. It's in the tens of thousands every week. You're talking about a major program that's affecting many, many, many people. And the gentleman who writes it, I know him very well. He did a fantastic job over here. The topic was, I mean, he, he usually makes like one topic the topic, main topic at least, was what what is our responsibility vis 
vis-a-vis mitzvos. So he, he talked about how it says, there is a thing called Irhanidachas, a city that was completely going in, in the way of Avodazora, of idol worship, and it has to be eliminated. Everybody gets killed, and then the Torah says, Nothing should remain in your possession. And he gives, us, gives an example of a miller of a gold watch, Nothing to do with idolatry. Do I have to get rid of it? And the answer is yes. You have to get rid of everything. Why do I have to get rid of this thing? No, no connection to Vodazara. And that's the beginning of the theme, which is that we, as Jewish people, have to work on our love of Hashem to the extent that we don't go to the minimum. We go further. We add on and we add on. And he talks about how if you look at Yiddishkeit today, it, it looks nothing like what the Torah asked it to look like. For example, Shabbos. According to the laws of Shabbos, today we have Muksa and we have you know, the, the three Tfilas on Shabbos, four Tfilas on Shabbos, and we have, uh, we have so many, so many, and we have three, three meals, a whole bunch of things that we have to do. Kiddush, you know, and we have this. Minah Torah, you could just say, Good Shabbos, and you be Yotze Kiddush. You don't have to eat any sudas. You don't have to get dressed up in any fancy clothes. You don't have to sit a few hours in the shul listen to Rabbi's drasha. All that is not required for being a good Jew, according to the Torah. Just 39 sets of malachos that you can't do, and that's it. And muksa, you can move all day. You can pick up a pen. You could go. You can do what you want. and Don't be worried. The Torah did not require it. Hazal instituted. Look at the davening compared to what the Torah required. Look at the brachos that we make compared to the Torah required. Everything we added on, we added on, we added on. It wasn't. It wasn't really germane to the to the uh, to the topic itself. It wasn't necessary. But a yid goes way beyond what Hashem asked him to do. That's the concept. And I'm not going to go into it. If you have a chance to read it, it's beautiful. It's not hard to get it. Uh, to get to that organization, it's just simple. Toras Avigdor, T O R A S A V I G D O R dot com. Toras Avigdor dot com, and you, you'll get on the website. You can send them an email. I think it's Toras Avigdor Gmail dot com, uh, something like that. And you shouldn't have any problem reaching them. Toras Avigdor, sign up for it. It costs nothing. They send it to you in the email. If you want something physical, you can you can get it to come every week. It costs about a buck a week or something like that. It'll be mailed to you. In any event, what the point of, of what I'm saying is that when it comes to Kashmir, here I am, and I am basically being blamed constantly for what? You rabbis are making up. You're making up all these things. You're saying we can't do this. You're saying we can't do that. One second. One second. I didn't make anything up. <laughs> I'm sharing with the information that I got. And the whole thrust of Judaism, from what I understood from Rabbi Miller and from Torah Savigda this week, is that we want to do the max. The Pesach in the Torah says, Moshcheni Yacharecha Narutza. Draw me near 
and give me a little pull and we'll run after you, Hashem. Hashem. We say to Hashem, we will follow you. Just show us what you want. Indicate what the rules are. Tell us, like in the past week, this Pasha this past week, what are the rules of, of Kashrus? Yes, all our Kashrus is way over the top. You want to be following the Torah laws? You can take a piece of, you can take a, that pizza bagel. That pizza bagel. We just talked about before. You can take that pizza bagel and put on it a piece of salami and put another pizza bagel on top and you can eat it together. According to the Torah law, you can eat meat and milk together. You can't cook it together and you can't eat it if it was cooked together. But according to the Torah, you could have meat and milk together. I don't think anybody I know isn't going to have separate silverware and be careful about this and don't put that over here. Well, why are you, why are you making? Why are, why are you doing that over the top? You're being too fanatical. No, that's what we do. Moshecheni acharecha narutza. Draw me near to you, Hashem, and I'm going to go after you. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to do it to the max. I want to do what Hashem wants. That's what kashrus is. That's what Shabbos is. That's what mitzvahs are. It's not what can I get away with. What's the minimum? Where's the shortest davening? Where's the, the where's the most lenient rabbi in town? I want his number. It's I am supposed to be doing the ratzon habayre and want to satisfy Hashem. So I'm not looking to find the minimum that I can do. I'm looking to find the maximum. I can involve myself in expression of love of HaKadosh Baruch Now, there was another thing I saw which I thought was very interesting. And then maybe we have a couple of minutes at the end, I'm not sure. But I, I wanted to tell you there's another publication which I do get. I don't always read every word. <laughs> it's gigantic. But uh, if you have a chance and you're interested in it, this is a very good if you, if you do, if you have email, if you don't have email, it won't help you. Uh, I don't even know where you could get this otherwise. But it's all over Lake with that, much, I'll tell you. Uh, it's, it's called the Bitochon Weekly. So if you'd send an email to the new Bitochon Weekly, Bitochon is B-I-T-A-C-H-O-N, the new Bitochon Weekly, again, the New B I T A C H O N weekly two two e's and weekly and at, at gmail dot com. You send them an email; they'll send it to you every single week. Cost you nothing. Fantastic material. Fantastic. The man. I don't know how he has enough hours in the week. I don't have enough hours in the week to read it, but I don't know how he's enough hours in the week to write it. He's a rebbe and teaches nine year olds. And he's uh, a powerhouse, powerhouse. Stories, ideas, unbelievable. Listen to this one. This past week, right, was, was all about kashras. Bosa b'cholos, kosher simonim for birds, kosher simonim for meat, everything. All of it was packed into this last week's Parsha. Here's one of the things he said. It says, Mala Geira that it chews its cud. The kosher animal chews its cud. What does chewing its cud mean? 
that the food comes back out and it's rechewed and goes back in again. It's a funny arrangement, but that's what it is in a kosher animal. It chews its cud. Ma'ale It doesn't exist in the non-kosher animal. It's very, very interesting what, what it says. So the Vilna Gon looked in the symbolic issue of this, and he said an interesting thing. A kosher animal chews its cud because it's satisfied with what it has from Hashem. A yid should, and this is where now we're anywhere. This is where this gentleman, I don't know his name, I don't think his name is here at all. Uh, this, this fellow from the Bitochum Weekly goes on and now explains. A yid should learn from this to constantly thank Hashem to chew over whatever Hashem gave him his spouse, his siblings. That's hard sometimes, right? And other relatives, for sure. His health, his Torah, his strengths, and his own unique nature. Like a cow chewing its cud, a person should never get tired from thanking Hashem again and again. Interesting. No, you, you have to admit you didn't think of that. I didn't either. That the that one thing we're learning from this is that we are cud chewers. We don't actually do it ourselves. But we are learning from the animal. The animal, you are what you eat, so the animal chews its cud. It's something for us to be satisfied with what we have and to chew it over, to enjoy it and, you know, go over it again and again and again. That's, that's one symbolism that he had here. Another one, I, I'm gonna, another point that he made is about the birds. The birds, the Torah gives us which are the kosher birds and which are the non-kosher birds. The, the kosher birds are not listed because there are so many of them. We don't eat that many because we don't know which ones are kosher. But really, there are more kosher birds than non-kosher birds. So the Torah gave the non-kosher birds by name. But we have signs what's a kosher bird and what's not a kosher bird. Our problem is that we want to have what we call a mesorah, and we don't have it on too many of the birds, and that's been a big issue lately. I'm not going to talk about that. But this is, uh, the Torah tells you which non-kosher birds, the ones you can't eat. So this gentleman from the Bitochum Weekly makes an interesting comment. The Torah only mentions the non-kosher birds, since most birds are kosher. By animals, though, the opposite is true. Most of them are not kosher. The Sefer Pas Lechem on Choves Halvava says that birds have higher intelligence than animals. For example, the rooster knows what to- when the day is coming. We say every morning, and there are birds that can actually talk. I mean, of course, Shlomo Melech was able to understand the, the speech and the animals, the birds. But in other words, the, the intelligence of the birds is much higher intelligence than the animals. We can say that since birds live in the air, they're closer to Hashem. And that's why the birds sing so beautifully. In contrast to land animals, which have ugly barks and growls. The most beautiful singing is done by the Malachim and Shemayim, 
or close to the Kisei covered. Interesting material here, very interesting. And, but just to think about it, um, he also mentions that there's a d- difference between fruits and vegetables. Vegetables are usually not sweet since they grow in the ground. They can even be bitter since living with only teva, nature, the ground. Oilam haza and gashmias is not a sweet experience. Fruits, which are usually sweet, since they're removed from the earth because they're in trees, they're closer to Shemayim. Very interesting. Who thinks about this? I mean, it can, really, can get in under your skin. You start, you start thinking a little bit that, that uh, things that are closer to Shemayim are going to be sweeter. They're going to be more intelligent. Very, very interesting. Very interesting. You know, uh, the, we say in the davening, you know, Al-Aretz Mitachas, and in the Shemayim things we look up, and in the Gashmias things we look down. In our davening, in our Torah, there's so much depth, and the, and the Kashrus laws are under the surface, have a lot of information, a lot of ideas that it could be teaching us. We talk about the uh, things that are closer to the ground, etc. Create a more a, 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 a less sweet and more sweet in the air bird, sweet when in the air. Very interesting. Why why there should be uh, a higher intelligence in a bird? Uh, okay. Let me just end off. We only have a couple of minutes. So I'm going to mention just one more thing at the end here. And we did this, we did this. And I know there was one more thing I had. I'm not even sure what it was. I had it in my hand. So since we don't have... I don't know where I... What exactly I was I was looking up over here. Let me then just end off. We have the three minutes. Let me end off with. Uh, I might go back to this. So let me see one more thing that he had in the in the booklet for for the people who were in the hospital. By the way, uh, in, in the um, in the Imani's booklet, it gives you a very detailed idea of the kashas of the different food items. And let's just mention what he said about the uh, person who is in the hospital, Rahman Islan, and uh, how they're supposed to conduct themselves. So just in a couple of minutes remaining. It says, the status of a mother who just gave birth. From the moment the expectant mother is in full labor, and especially after she gives birth to her child, her condition is considered life-threatening. But that's the halacha. This means that anyone may do anything necessary for her health on Shabbos. This status lasts for three days after the birth even if the doctor does not state that it's vital for her survival to be Michal Shabbos, but three days, you're supposed to be Michal Shabbos for her, even if she doesn't want it. 
after the third day, until the seventh day, is permitted to be Mechal Shabbos, if the doctor says it's necessary. If the birth process is especially difficult and the mother is very weak, or an infection develops on Shalom, it's permitted to continue doing, doing on Shabbos whatever the doctor orders until she recuperates, because then she's really sick. So that's just an example of what would happen if she were to be right after childbirth. Now, in terms of the Kiddush, which he mentioned before, he mentions that if, a, uh, if you gave... Uh, maternity patients have to hear and make Kiddush for themselves on Friday night and Shabbos morning, maybe on grape juice, but let's say if grape juice cannot be used, then they should do the following. On Friday night, they should make hamotzi and Kiddush on the Chalas. Now, how do they do that? You wash your hands, you make the bracha of Alantia then you say Vayachulu, then you say Hamotzi, and then you continue the rest of Kiddush. Shabbos morning, Kiddush can be recited on coffee, milk, or chalas. That's how they handle it over there. Very, very interesting. This is available to anybody. As I said, if you can't get it, you can email me, kashrus at aol.com, K-A-S-H-R-U-S at aol.com. It's very, very interesting. Halachas in here. A lot of things for people who are sick, even in the house. Wonderful little booklet. Um, where you could get, you could get it by calling the hospital. I gave you the number for the rabbi. I'm looking for it again. If I can find it quickly, I shall. Yes, seven one eight two eight three eight three two seven. Rabbi Friedlander. Uh, I see the time is up. If you need to reach us. My, this, is your, this is your host, Rabbi Yosef Wickler, editor of Kashrus Magazine. Uh, our telephone is 718-336-8544. And, of course, Kashrus, K-A-S-H-R-U-S, at AOL.com. We're soon coming out with the Kosher Supervision Guide for 2021 and 2022. We print it in September. So if you want to sign up for a subscription to the magazine, you want to get the Kosher Supervision Guide, you want to get the Kosher Travel Guide, any of the books that we put out, you can contact at, again at 718-336-8544. Until next week, this is your host, Rabbi Yosef Wickler, editor of Conscious Magazine, wishing you a wonderful week. Anywhere, anytime, for everyone. This is jrootradio.com. Got a toothache? Need a filling? Not sure where to go or who to trust? Visit Dr. Yehoshua.